Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 177. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title Looking for the Good Times Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. This changed the fortune for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. As the pandemic is now lifting somewhat, I am making more personal appearances at shows in Oregon and California. Check my Facebook page as to where I might be next, usually working with Lee's Comics. I'm getting closer to finishing my Mad my Turtles books. 
another monkey's book is on the horizon, as well as a book about TV animation studios. And look for more articles from me in Back Issue, Alter Ego, and Hogan's Alley, and various guest appearances on other podcasts, including those by Ed Rising, Hudson Ranney, Dennis Ball, Phil Hall, and others. My Pac-Man book is my latest release, coming out this month of September 2022. Look for my Disney book and my Warren Kremer book coming soon. On today's show, we have two young animation experts who give us hope for the future that animation history will not die. Here they are, Strum and Camden Spees. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and uh, today is another Fun Ideas podcast, and I have two special guests. I have the recurring guest... Too often, and now he's a prisoner, Camden Spees, who writes for uh, Cartoon uh, Research for Jerry Beck. And I have a new, new, new uh, panelist here named Strum, who is also an animation expert. Probably both of these guys are more expert than I am because, you know, I just don't know my stuff anyway so if you're going to talk about van buren i'm like whoop you know so anyway uh but here we are so welcome to the show hello hi so strum since you're new just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the world of animation um i'm just a teenager up in as i like to put it the nowheresville forest of new york state (laughs) um um I'm really just passionate about animation, music, sort of that stuff mixed in together. Um, I do a little, I do a little blog called Inbetweens that just covers like little oddities of theatrical animation. Mm -hmm. And I really got into animation at a young age by watching the DVD of Lincoln's Golden Collection that my um, library had. When I was about 10, when I got access to the internet, I was opened up to a whole nother world. (laughs) <laughs> I found out about all the other studios at the same time. I think I bought of mice and magic, which exposed me to all the other studios. And that's really about it. I really just got further from there. Very cool. And Camden, you have a disc in your hand. Uh, seems I've like been holding begging and begging. <laughs> What's on it? Tell me a little, tell me about it. To him in prison. Steve, since we haven't got Steve Stanchfield yet, let's talk about him. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, this is the, okay yeah we're all gonna pretend to use here okay. we're all just gonna we're all just gonna answer the questions for him okay Steve. <laughs> so, so so uh what is what is this blu-ray steve that you're holding up <laughs> uh, no this one i think this one's out of print i think what's yeah, on it's, it it's seriously. out of print seriously what is on it uh, it it's classics from the Van Buren studio, about a dozen or so Van Buren shorts, starting from some of the Aesop's Fable silent shorts. This, wasn't this like a test? It was kind of just a compilation disc until he could put out like, I think it was sort of like a compilation until he started putting out like, this dedicates to the characters and such. Yeah. Okay. So there's, as I mentioned, some silent Aesop Fables, a few, a few sound ones, and then there's a few Rainbow Parades, one of those to- like, Toddle like- Tales. And of course, there's Tom and Jerry, Little King, and Cubby Bear. Okay. This so, is like, wasn't this put out to like, wasn't this like the first Blu-ray he put out? Um, um, no, it was one of the first, though. I think the first one he put up was the Gulliver disc. I don't but know. I think the first one he was Mark, planning was Technicolor Dreams. Mark doesn't have it. Mm. So the reason why they took it out of print is because you, they have all the separate characters on their own discs. Yeah, they... Okay, um, 
Okay. Because, well, all the um, fables that are on it are now on the now shipping the Aesop Fables Volume One set, okay. and of course they did the Rainbow Parade, Rainbow my... Ra- Parades Volume One. Uh-huh. They've done. They're working on Tom and Jerry, the Little King, right now, and for many years, of course, they've had the Complete Adventures of Cubby Bear. Yes, which I do have. I don't have it on Blu-ray. I have it on DVD. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of his stuff on DVD. So when he went up to Blu-ray. Um, I have a few of them, but I have novel tunes and I have uh the Popeye one. Um, yeah, yeah they're, they're all they're all pretty much essential in one way or another. Free. Not saying I, I didn't either, but novel tunes you got for free. Well, I did too, but <laughs> that's not I would have actually bought that one, but it was Jerry Beck when I saw him last in LA. He says, Here, Mark, I know you'll want to have this. And it's like it I think it was brand new. It was like three or four years ago. So you know. Yeah, I think it came out 2018, 2019, yeah. around there. Yeah, that's when I, I saw it. So. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a really good set, honestly. It's it's really it's really yeah. the most colorful way you can see those cartoons. The only there, it's I think, and yeah, well, Cam's holding the Little Lou special set, which I believe is now out of print. Yeah, they're all out of print. I don't know. Well, that's one most, thing. A I lot of them are. That's the one thing I would ask him is just you know what's why do things go out of print and stuff like that? You I mean you might know, but you know I'll get Steve on here eventually anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but do you know? <laughs> um, there's basically kind of a few reasons. I would say one of them is of course the special disc. Um, they're mostly just for. I think the other term sums up what they are: they're fundraiser discs to help with oh, like some stuff. So okay. after a while, they just go out of print, and then. And then, of course, I think with the official disc, it's when they run out of stock and can't get any more. Like recently, yeah. the Rainbow Parades Volume One went out of stock. I think they're. I think they've already gotten more stock because it is that popular. Yeah. So surprisingly, he will, <laughs> so he will bring them back into print if he sees a demand. Yes. Okay, but not always. <laughs> not okay. always. So uh, until we actually have Steve Stanfield on here, go to Thunderbean. And order all their discs. And go to Cartoon Research and read Thunderbean Thursday, which helps with understanding the progress. And, and go to Cartoon Research and read this fantastic, mispronounced, always mispronounced, and always will be mispronounced blog, blog, infrequent blog called the Speed Report. <laughs> it's um, it's fantastic. I recommend it to everyone. It's by it's written by a real real dumbass, but oh well. So, <laughs> so Camden, when did you start mispronouncing your name? Well, when did I start mispronouncing my name? Well, my name is pronounced Spees, but I'm mispronouncing mispronouncing my name when Walgreens wouldn't understand me on the phone. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? It's spies. I'm like, it's the plural of bond. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, when it's I first heard that. your name, I, I've never told you this. When I first heard your name, I just thought of it as like a, uh, like a. Uh, stage name as it were you know for lack, for lack of a better term you know that's why, that's why, uh, spies. we call we call him spies now because he's spying around prison for an escape right <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what i thought that's what i thought um strong was too i thought it was a fake name because you have a different name that, on- that happens way 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 too often i'll be honest what, you have people- a different name on anthony's podcast don't you i yes i i tend to take a lot of names <laughs> i'm known as sc mcpeter i'm known as strum I'm known as Strums in some places. I really go by a lot of monikers. But your real name is Strum. My real name is Strummer. I just shortened it to Strum because it sounds nicer. So I'm going to ask you right right now, because I've never heard of anyone named Strum. Are you named after Joe Strummer from the class? Yes, 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 yes. 
<laughs> my parents are big punk rock fans <laughs> and Isaro just snapped onto them that they should name me strummer it was actually kept a secret till i was born and it went over well and it's still i'm supposedly on the records the first human with the first name strummer hmm. i'm the first okay. human in the space i know that for a fact but i've done the, i've done the research and yes. can you play the guitar or any stringed instrument Yes, not that well, but I can. I hey, actually have a bass right name. up there. <laughs> I have a bass right up there. I have a mini banjo around, but I actually play other instruments better. I play harmonica. I play the drums. I play a traditional Japanese drum for school events that I've done, and I also play accordion. Wow. Well, you're in Facebook jail too, aren't you, Strong? A little, what? Aren't you in Facebook jail too? Um, I'm just getting out as we're talking. I believe. No, in like 24 hours as we talk. So, so are you in Facebook so for the same reason as Campbell? No, I was um I was playing along with Batman quotes. Oh. And um they thought it was too frightening. Hmm. <laughs> Apparently, when you report something, you don't look at the context of why they're speaking yeah, about it. You know, yeah, you know, for a man who doesn't like Batman, Milton Knight has a name that sounds like he likes Batman. I know. <laughs> <laughs> The dark Milton Knight. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, let's see. I think I've only been in Facebook jail once. And it was really stupid because I think I told you, Camden, for years I tried. I would write the goofiest. <laughs> I, I would. I'd write the goofiest shit on other people's pages. I wouldn't write them on my own. I'd write them on other people's pages, hoping to get censored or whatever. And nobody did anything for years. And then one time probably about two or three years ago finally got put into facebook jail for the dumbest thing ever uh somebody was doing some sort of commentary about saturday night live they were talking about the original saturday night live in the 70s with the uh point counterpoint skits that had dan Aykroyd and jane Curtin. and the catchphrase from that among others is jane you ignorant slut so i actually wrote that and they banned me because i used the word slut because they thought i was calling somebody named jane a an ignorant slut not knowing that this was a catchphrase and i tried to fight it and everything and they said no no you're you're calling somebody something you know and so i said whatever Ooh. but i was only in jail for like a couple days it wasn't very long yeah I, i'm not i'm only gonna be in jail for what five days i've been in for a whole month wow what did you do <laughs> i just i just played along with batman well it's stupid just batman for everything okay wait wait, <laughs> night, wait, wait and milton is not was not in jail no i don't think so if 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 he was I, i'd be I have a conspiracy that now that milton knight milton knight is the most power is powerful <laughs> Well, he's, if he's never been in Facebook jail, <laughs> that's like a badge of honor to say, I've never been in Facebook jail, you know. For I me, never was in Facebook jail. It's a badge of honor to be in Facebook jail. Well, everybody's been in Facebook jail. That's what I'm saying, as long as yeah, you stay out of Yeah, this is the it. first time I've ever been in Facebook jail. Oh, okay. I've gotten warnings before. I have gotten warnings. I've but gotten I never, warnings, too. Yeah, okay. but I think I, I got a warning, and I yeah. think this, I don't think they're calling it Facebook jail. It's basically a restriction. I think it was just like a warning to back off on <laughs> Stupid. I think I said the words damn Canada one time and I got a warning thinking I was hurting on Canadians. <laughs> wow. I I Canada, but blame Canada. Those are our neighbors. <laughs> blame Canada. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, Strum, Edge yeah. of 
edumacate me about uh, the Van Buren cartoons. I mean, I read of Mice and Magic. I do have some uh, of their cartoons. It is a very, it is a very, for, very for, short passage in the Van. Yeah, in the not, Van not on buff. Thunderbean. I have it on other labels. I think it's uh, oh, what's the label that came out? They were on DVD from Cartoon like, Roots, like twenty years ago. Yeah, one of those. You know. Um, oh, I, I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah. mm, the name lingers me as well. But the Van Buren cartoons have a very have a, actually kind of an interesting history. In 1920-21, Paul Terry was approached by this um, businessman and said, "Hey, you want to start another animation studio? You want to?" You want to try and go capitalize on the popular of this Aesop guy and do fables cartoons? Terry was like, sure, why not? And yep. And there's Camden with the books. I could probably explain it much more in detail than I can. Okay. Hal Erickson's a Van Buren production, yeah. which also covers the live action stuff. Just, just read us the book right now. Strong. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't have it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't have it either. In fact, I was, it's still in my my wish list it's still in my wish list so is it worth getting that book I yes guess? yes yes i've it never has, read it yet i've got too many oh. books oh so you have I, read it you have read it i have read it i just don't okay. own it okay so, so it goes, essentially owning books <laughs> essentially um terry began it though eventually they, very quickly they stopped making it about the actual fables and more made it about like mice cat antics from alfalfa cartoons Mm-hmm. They all ended with some moral at the end, of course, because that's what a fable does. It ends with a moral. Yeah. And this went on until about 1927 when Van Buren bought controlling interest. And he also began incorporating into his company that released live action subjects, I believe, by this point. In 1929, with the advent of sound, Terry had already back. produced a cartoon called Dinner Time mm-hmm. with Farmer Alfalfa. It most of it is a a lot of it is a reissue of an earlier one. Mm-hmm. But it actually came out before Steamboat Willie. By that point, they had already worked on it and such, so it, it wasn't like they were thinking ahead. It's it's really just a sound reissue, and it isn't that good as, as one. Um, Walt saw it, and he was like, we have nothing to worry about around here. Mm. The only other instance I could think about in terms of sound before Disney, well, at least at this point, because there were very sound tests, and Fleischers had already done the, the bouncing ball cartoons at this point, which were pretty much prototype sound cartoons, was um, I think by this point, Universal had already announced that they were going to begin doing Oswald cartoons with both sound and silent versions available. That became available in the next year, but Disney beat them to the punch in releasing it. But Disney wasn't afraid because he was taking extra steps with it, of course. So, in ni- so back to my point is that in 1929, Van Buren was really pressuring him to move on with sound, move on with sound. Now, Terry was still putting them out. He was releasing, he was re-releasing a few with soundtracks. But other than that, he wasn't really interested. So, so they just fired him in June 1929. You know <laughs> the story the behind that is humorous in itself. Hmm. Um, Paul Van Buren had his wedding that day, actually. Hmm. In between going there into the honeymoon, in a span of 15 minutes, he fired Terry and hired and had one of the head animators that was credited as the de facto director because he was really John Foster. <laughs> I think immediately afterwards, Frank Moser and Jerry Shields, who were more akin to Terry, also left with him. And that left Foster and two other directors, Manny Davis and um, and Harry Bailey. <laughs> there were the, the other main change that occurred during this point was um, was that Terry was very prolific in releasing films. He released one a week. What? The only other studio that I think did that during the sound era was the Mutt and Jeff cartoons. 
Even then, I think they sometimes did it one week, sometimes two weeks. I'm uncertain, and we don't have many survivors of that because, and mark your calendars because July 9th is the 85th anniversary of when that Fox fire happened in Little Furry and <laughs> destroyed basically most of the Mutt and Jeff cartoons. Yeah, let's 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 go create some forest fires while, while to celebrate. <laughs> hey, so not um, over here. That's for California. <laughs> mm. Is um, that oh, is that the Gulliver Buddy book? Yeah, wow, book, I've actually it? never seen that. Yeah, there it is. Looks in good condition too. Yeah, it's mine. Mm-hmm. I could show off a bunch of stuff, but I'd have to get up. Too. Well, you got up, I guess. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did. Anyway. The only interesting treasure I have, and I'm not going to get this, I keep in cold proximity a 20, I think 28 frames of a 1920 button Jeff nitrate. And it's, I got it from Tommy Satch's a little fragment piece. It's the only piece of that film that exists, sadly. Wow. If it's nitrate, wait a minute, wait a minute, Camden. if it's nitrate, how do you store it? I keep it in the freezer. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, keep, I don't keep it. I don't keep, it doesn't get water. Okay. Oh, you have the Oswald. <laughs> that yeah. one has some yeah. really bad drawings, and I recall. Yeah, and it's in really bad shape. Matches. <laughs> yeah. All right. If we're showing off things, I will leave for the second. So talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> anyway, I so, will show you a couple um, things. But Strom, you gotta convince Tommy to be on the show because I don't know Tommy enough to convince him. All right, I think I can do that. But yeah. um, Tommy does not like to talk about animation. He's gonna refer us to the documentary. <laughs> I think I think he doesn't mind doing the occasional thing, but I don't know if he likes doing it too much. Yeah, and I don't blame him. I think Tommy he is, is also very very busy. Yes, Mr. Sasha and doesn't have much of the energy, so I don't blame him. Otherwise, I most definitely would try to convince him. I also have this Popeye ramp walker. <laughs> Ooh, I'm Popeye. Yeah, Mark Housler said on our interview, you got to stop collecting Camden. It's too much. I'm like, well, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> Here I come back. <laughs> Mark, All right. Mark, show us the print of hats off, please. Okay. Uh, it's in my well, freezer. Well, let's see what you got. It's in my freezer. <laughs> <There> <laughs> go. Okay, so I got the scrappy. Oh, oh I have the scrappy book as well. Yeah. I wish I, I I have been dying to just wait for the right moment to buy the Scrappy Puppet oh. Theater because they show up on eBay often in mint condition. I have this the I have really the Scrappy nice book too, answers. Mark. Yeah. Problem is we'll my Scrappy everything. book is yeah. on top of an Elmer Fudd Dakin with its tag on it. It's right I, under that. I believe it or not. <laughs> I don't have that one. Yeah, a lot of these Scrappy Puppet Theaters love to show up on eBay. I have to imagine they had like some whole abandoned factory of them. Well, I imagine that Harry McCracken owns about 10 of them. I think he owns several of them, and I think he's actually built one of them. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Harry is. We got to get Harry on your show, Mark. What? We got to get Harry McCracken on your show. Oh, okay. I know Harry. Yeah. Ask him. (laughs) Yeah, talking Scrappy would be really cool. Mm. Okay. I mean, I know a lot of people that I haven't bothered to get on the show, or if... I have. They mm-hmm. haven't done it, <laughs> like Steve. I think I think the scrappy <laughs> cartoons are really interesting in terms of when humor first yeah. directed them. The earlier yeah. ones tend to match the Toby the Puff cartoons that they had been doing before. Like, yeah, they in sorts of style and humor, and also because of how they would the three animators would do it: humor, Sid Marcus, and Art Davis. They would all do a third of the cartoon, 
And then, but gradually, humor began enforcing his own style towards others. Wow, it's beautiful. Yeah, I colored think, yeah, I think, like, I think that angel drawing is based off a of humor drawing. Yeah, but somebody colored it. That's not supposed yeah. to be. <laughs> I didn't know it was a scrappy coloring book. Yeah, well, somebody thought it was, and so this book starts off that way, uh, like this one, you know. <laughs> but overall, uh, it's in pretty nice condition. Actually, they colored quite a bit of it, uh, like the first half of mine. it. You know, so anyway, but I got it for fairly cheap, so that's wow, more scrappy stuff than Andy Panda too. <laughs> is that that is that that Andy Panda comic where he goes on like some really weird adventures that don't fit the character? I don't know. I have a lot of no. This is one of the big little books. So this yeah. is oh, then, then it isn't. I'm thinking of like a DC publication. Like a fast action book. Like it matters. Oh, okay. What the hell? Um, is fast I um. So I'm gonna tell you right now, there are some neat designs in this. The first half of the scrappies really reflect. This is part of the Andy Panda story, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember. I, don't know I what just. This I, is, I, I remember I think, seeing this before. What? What? what I thought this was the bat. Yeah, yeah oh, again, that one gets really out of hand. Okay. A okay. lot of the early Andy Panda stuff I recall being out of hand like that. Oh yeah, it's this guy. This <laughs> is, guy is it because they didn't know what to do by the police? Is it because they didn't oh know God. what to do with them or what? Uh, yeah, it does. See. <laughs> this is like what if Andy Panda came into Milton Caniff's world and then like you know um got chained up and had an affair with some broad <laughs> yeah, yeah you just look like, on um if you just look on eBay and look up scrappy Columbia you will find a lot of scrappy merchandise because they made a lot of this this gets scrappy, very dark <laughs> story about scrappy is that he became he was very good at the beginning then he just became very merchandised yeah Oh, yeah. How long does yeah. this series last? Oh my god! Uh, not the it, book, the co- the animated cartoons. So Scrappy was ten years, thirty-one to forty-one. Okay. And they just it gets it's a really inconsistent series. It starts out really good with like the first twenty or so entries by Dick Humor. Yeah. Humor starts them off, like I said, like the Tobies in terms of directing them. Then he really comes interested in what I feel like he becomes really interested in directing them, sort of like offbeat silly symphonies, like the like the Black Sheep. It plays a lot to classical music, sync to um, color clashing in the barnyard of this black sheep and all the other white sheep. He comes out victorious, of course. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the beer garden, which uses a bunch of drinking tunes and German songs to That's basically fight against old man prohibition right before, right before the beginning. Drinking a lot of cartoons. Yeah. I think there's two of the Scrappies that weren't allowed in the package because of excessive drinking. The other one's fair play. The funny thing is that Scrappy Wait, isn't I, I thought in it. it was because wouldn't that have been because of chat because of like him and his little like five two year old brother drinking? Um, they did not drink at all. It, they served it though, which is illegal, of course. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I it is, it is really that. odd. But the other thing about fair play, which is the other one of four Scrappies on the package, like the beer parade, which I just described, also not on the package. Fairplay doesn't actually have Scrappy. It entirely stars his kid brother, Vonsi. <laughs> Vonsi, humor intended him to be called Vonsi, which is Yiddish for bedbug, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was always called Opie. So I just usually I refer this. him as Vonsi. I have this. Um, yeah. I have, Guess who? I have this completely, I have this completely um, bootleg Woody Woodpecker mask. This is not, this is, by the way, this is not licensed. This is just completely bootleg. <laughs> just so oh, nice. sure. It looks better you, than you, a lot of official Woody merchandise. Yeah, I say you grabbed it at Universal Studios. We know it. That's why you're in jail. <laughs> anyway. Um, after, after humor. No, leave, my grandfather it, found it at like some flea market just sitting there. 
So let me let me look up. Uh, I don't know what I'm looking up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're jumping all over the place. Uh, well, so what? Uh, I'll I'll go through a couple of these studios like that. So is Scrappy the the most popular character that came out of? Charles Mintz and Screen Jams in Columbia. So Screen Jams well, no, been interesting. Be the no, the no. Um, the thing with the Screen Jams that they didn't really have any popular characters. Really, Fox and the Crow. I'll get I'll get into that in a second. So really, in the '30s, their only popular original character would have been Scrappy. Crazy Cat was, of course, merchandise, but the entirely different character on screen. Right. But the the weird thing is that after they had banned those characters, they started trying to make new ones. They were desperate for characters. The Fox and Crow were actually decently popular. They ranked as like, I think like the 21st or 23rd most popular characters in the mid 40s. Yeah. But they didn't really have that punch that Columbia would have, of course, wanted that they later got with Magoo. But they were right. very popular in comics. Like they were licensed to DC. Oh, yeah. And that continued until like 1967. Right. No. And yeah, it continued. I think they, I think they were licensed in the back of them until later, right, Mark? Yeah. Well, yeah, it became uh, what did they call Alien it? Alien the Monster, Monster, and then Alien the Monster. Yes, thank you. And then um, um, I yeah. think, but I think until like the eighties or something. Yeah, like they were. That. Yeah, no, they no, continued no, forward the into the eighties. Yeah, I've even seen Latin American comics from the nineties. Well, in the U.S., it wasn't that late. You know, no, but it wasn't in the, in the, the in U.S. It wasn't that late. But it's amazing to think that in the mid nineties they were they were still pumped that some Latin American comic things were pumping out them but they might have been republished at that I point. still yeah. really want to see I really want to see those weird weird off off brand Betty Boop Popeye <laughs> and Bonzo and Mickey Mouse were Betty those Japanese prints yeah those Japanese comics were made uh, I, I, I like love the Japanese prints a lot I I'm also a student of the Japanese of Japanese language that I've had the fortune to take in school like I mentioned I was playing the traditional Japanese subs I just I, like I love Japanese so I think a lot of them are in Russian uh, that's that's a little odd. Maybe they were made. Maybe they were made in Korea, in, in Japanese controlled Korea. Remember, licensing uh, was not a big deal back then. I yeah, mean, they. Remember. I think. I think. I think Paramount would just sell to like somebody there. Yeah. Just just very cheaply, like like prints, and then they would just go there, and they would all become unlicensed in one way or another. I don't think they ever worried about foreign stuff. In fact, they never. They they kind of did in in Europe and Britain, especially, I believe. Yeah, but, but oddly enough, in Britain, by the mid-30s, the cartoon wasn't really that valued, which is why you don't see too many British cartoons at that time. They yeah, were only yeah. seldom played on the lineups in British theaters. And what and the that's kind of why those two those two studios that started after the war failed. There were David Hands and Manuel Monrelno, I believe it, it is. Both of them are <laughs> starting yeah. studios. Mark, Mark Strum knows a lot more than I do, too. <laughs> apparently <laughs> so David Mann tried but... doing like this British series called Animal Land which yeah. half of it is like documenting animals half of it is like animal antics very Disney like because he was of yeah. course a Disney pedigree no. they're not I wouldn't call them the best they're a bit too cute for me yeah. but then Manuel was doing these really really strange cartoons starring these man in his cab called Bubble and Squeak yeah and they're, they only made, I that's think they the, made four of them, weird. and then they made a spinoff of one of them, which is really strange. And they become stranger and stranger. The last two cartoons they did also feature just organ soundtracks, mm. which yeah, make them even weirder. Yeah, I, you know that, you know those, you know the, the Coltoon sets that Mark. Yeah, they have, them? they have one of those, right? No, what? Mark, you have those Coltoon sets that Steve did, those DVDs. Which ones? 
the Coltoon, the the Coltoon's DVDs. What's that? Maybe I'm. It was it was one of the early ones Steve produced on DVD. Oh, Coltoon! So. I was thinking you were saying Colt tunes like a horse. I was like, what? <laughs> Cult yeah. tunes. Yes, I do have those. I do have yeah. that David yeah. Hand collection. That was also the, the company I was thinking it was Image. Image put out a DVD of the David Hand stuff. Yeah, I think did, I think he uh, tried upgrading them a while back and trying yeah. to get them in and like HD. But it never worked. They're cute, but yeah, there's nothing remarkable. Yeah, the bubble and squeak cartoons were a lot more stranger and funnier for that reason. Those that bubble squeak is just British name, so yeah, it just sounds British. It's it's like it's like it is it is it is it is based the name is based off a British just called Bubble and Squeak, yes, which is like leftovers. It's sort of like leftovers mixed in with other stuff. That that whole concept is British. Yes, I think he I think he created that. I think he created them before he came to Britain, but the reason those two studios failed was, of course, there wasn't too much a demand for cartoons in Britain. Mm-hmm. And also because once they and also because once they opened up foreign, like foreign stuff, they immediately got flooded in by superior American cartoons. And right. I mean, it wasn't was ever no going to work there out. There was not a cartoon studio in any country, really. Like it was successful. The but only other studio, the only other country that really had consistent cartoon work would have been Russia. Brazil had some. Well, Japan, Brazil, but South America Japan. had a few things that would Japan pop up. Japan didn't have much either, though. Ja- at Japan time. mostly was independent people by this point, and the occasional movie studio would have someone do cartoon work. Yeah, but I mean, hmm. the thing about animation, though, is even an early time they could dub it. Like you know, hmm. even early on they could still dub it. It wouldn't match, but they could dub it. Yeah, I, I think hmm. the main reason is just it's really expensive to do traditional animation, and it's like. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is it, the the thing about animation is that they're always trying to cut down costs in one way or another, especially then. Yeah. I think I think that's partly why it took so long for cells to catch on. I think I it, because it was so expensive well, and so time consuming to do cells. No, it's because they had to pay. They also had to pay. Well, no, Bray. I'm thinking Bray too, because Bray himself. Not all of the cartoons they did used cells, and they would sometimes try to cheat it by using the slash system of Earl Heard. Um, Heard and Bray both own the patent and they both license it out really expensive actually to license it out um so 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 the mutt and jeff studio that was sort of competing with them you would only see really really small amounts of cells being used like they would animate it all on paper they would use the slash system of cutting stuff on paper then putting it onto like a background which is why animation backgrounds in like the 1910s to early 30s they always have like they always have the horizon line really high so that way you could cut the paper in no. <laughs> well, that's also because so so Bud Fisher could pocket the money and go sleep with fourteen different. Yeah, women. yeah. He every everyone was pocketing money. At You're the in jail. You'd be quiet. <laughs> not not just Bud Fisher, but um, but um, I mean, Bud but Fisher, Bowers Bud too. Fisher, Bowers I, Bowers also was was a crook and stealing Bud money. Bud Fisher also point. married. I'm pretty convinced he 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 had to have specifically wanted to seek out a wife who couldn't read, because every paper <laughs> that went in the picture, he's holding like fourteen like two women on his shoulder. And, I think and, you know, I think he really and, you know, had like he, a, you know every time they had one of those Mutt Jeff Broadway shows you know what he would do he would just go with two different other women yeah this was <laughs> this was Dick Humor's recollection of it yeah and it, it to me it sounds like Bud Fisher was the original Playboy guy Bud Fisher is like the William Moulton Marsden of comic strips <laughs> Mark you know what I mean yeah where where I don't think I where it almost seems like his wife wasn't wise mm-hmm. to the whole thing because Strom and I were talking about this. William Moulton Marsden, if you look at any picture of their family, that wife had to be a really, really an idiot. Because, like, 
an idiot in what way? Because he he was allowed to carouse and do whatever he wanted. No, I because mean, it was an affair with somebody living in their house. Yeah, well, I mean that that was. I'm not saying it was right. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it was more accepted. I mean, you look at the career mm-hmm. of somebody like Bob Hope. I mean, you know, his wife Dolores basically said, "I don't care what I don't care what you do outside the home. Just don't uh, don't bring him home and don't bring home any diseases." Just keep bringing home the money, you know. And so, and <laughs> I love it. I, have yeah, to I say, think I, I think I created the lie detector. Yeah, I know. Oh, we're talking. Of motion. I yeah. think I Wait, think you gotta keep up with Camden. He will change the subject if we're on a subject. He will change it. Yes, that's what Camden does. So, just want to let you keep the ground rules here. Okay. So, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> all right. Um, Any studios you want to know about? Uh, sure. Uh, let me look at my a copy of, of Mice and Magic here. Ooh, that's an original, the more honest version. How about this? Uh, Where's your new copy, Mark? Where's the revised one? Oh, I have it on the shelf. I just read this one. Uh, the original version is a lot more honest in some ways. <laughs> Leonard Malton and Jerry Bitt. Yeah, mine's signed by Stay Leonard. Tuned. <laughs> Not signed at the same time. Signed at mm. very different times. <laughs> This was not my first edition of it, though. I did check it out of the library a lot, but um, my first edition was given to me as a present when I was 15, and it is a paperback, and it's in pretty good pretty good condition, considering I looked at all the time, the spine is cracked, and the corner got ripped off somewhere along the line. So the one that's really nice that I have on the shelf, I didn't bring it over here, is the revised edition, you mm-hmm. know, where he updated it, and... It's pretty much in pristine mint because I don't really care for the revised editions much, but I have it just to have it, you know. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so, what were we talking about? Okay, so. What other studios would you be curious about? I don't know. Um, What's that about uh, the iWorks studio? iWorks? iWorks. Yeah, let's talk about Double iWorks. Okay. So, iWorks, I think, is a really interesting case because he was, he was really the first. Um, he kind of was a really i would say he was probably the first person outside of disney to really understand well to release films quickly about sound mm-hmm. in a way and he tried upping disney by doing color because he had signed with god yeah. was it harris color i believe I and know, he, he hired that's all i know <laughs> yeah he was using two strip harris color yeah. a lot of those just mixed in and were turned to cinecolor at some point i think Cinecolor's harris color was remember, part of that yeah. Yeah. like and i think brewster color no not brewster color brewster color i thought was what Rooster okay. Color tried doing three strip, but it never worked. <laughs> but um, it, it was definitely Harris Color that was used on fiddlesticks. So Artworks just wanted to do Flip the Frog, and he was going to sell prints in both black and white and color. When MGM bought the series, they only bought in black and white, which scraps plans of that. The only ones they did were um, fiddlesticks, which is the only one that survives in color. And then it looks like um, Flying Fist and Little Orphan Willie were only done in color as well. Hmm. But um, I've never seen them in color. I think I think a few people have claimed to have seen it in color. I believe them, but it's never surfaced. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about let's talk about some of the let's talk about the Les Elton studio. The what? Okay. So Les Elton barely had a studio. He just did two independents that never really worked. Um, his stepson Bob Bentley helped on assist on that, the that monkey, that monkey doodle short. Might be the weirdest thing I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, I think I. Hobo Hero is also very hard to explain as well. I think I think Hobo Hero is very odd because of just the uh, the very odd mix of Les Elton's animation style 
and then just this rotoscope, this beautiful rotoscope. I think the commentary on the cartoon set might be the funniest audio commentary I've ever used. <laughs> <in my life. laughs> uh, it, it, I know that there's actually been a 35 source on Monkey Doodle Found, so maybe those parts that you usually see silence may actually be, be seen in sound someday. It's just the reason the commentary is funny. It's like you have Milton Knight in the background in the back saying like, what the hell is this? Just I, like, think, I think he, I think, hmm. Like it, it is though really odd that that, that, film, duh, that that film really was made and exhibited just thinking about that. I wonder, I wonder if it kind of inspired the Marty the Monk. Actually, then no. again, they were all creating these characters and such, but nothing so as unique as Les Elton's cartoons. Oh, no, no, Marty, no, no, no. I think the most unique one is Mr. E and Tau City. What? That cartoon oh. is just weird. Hmm. Now, there's there's plenty of weird there's it. plenty of weird offbeat cartoons from that period. Mark, do you know which one we're talking about, Mr. E? Not really. I mean, you guys are like, <laughs> now if this is all silent era stuff, you gotta know on my, you know, it, it it's kind of funny that two people that are like half my age or let's <laughs> know more about silent era stuff. It's like I really don't know that much about silent era stuff. It pretty much is it, is yeah, that's that's kind of that's like a Tommy Statue. I've thing. never been a huge, huge fan of silent stuff because I think it doesn't really have much of a storyline most of the time. I think and, I think the one and, issue with silent stuff in terms of how people see it is that they're usually seen in cutdowns, which ruins the plot. Yeah. Like that's that's why I love the cartoon root set so much. Like the yeah. Bray Studios, there's there's yeah, one, see, that's the, that's the, the set I was plugging to you, Mark, and said it was the best to set ever made, and you didn't have it. <laughs> no, <laughs> nope. Now you know. Now you know that um, I like silence. Camden knows this because we were with Nick Santa Maria. We were talking about various comedians and stuff. So I have no problem with silent movies at all. It's just silent movie cartoons. A lot of them are just kind of inept and and stupid. And it's yeah, like I, I can I like, can admit that a lot of them yeah. are plotless. A yeah. lot of them definitely are, but yeah, I find yeah. that a bit of the fun of them because yeah. in a lot of the silent cartoons, everything is about the gag, and that makes them really oddly hysterical when you're watching them properly. Like, yeah, like, and, like and, you know, I think, I think, like, there's the crazy cat on on the Bray set that Tommy Sat just put up, Cartoon Roots, the Bray Studios. Yeah. That I'm, I you usually see cutdowns of just like a few pieces of the boxing stuff, but it actually has a neat storyline to it where. Ignatz is betting against the other guy so he can win all this money. But then Ignatz's wife is actually betting all of the family savings on Ignatz to win. So crazy has to rig it. So Ignatz wins, which is what happens a bit complicated for 1920, but you usually don't see it that way. Right. I, it's, say- um, I think the best mouse, I think it is the best mouse loses, hmm. but a lot of those Aesop's fables cartoons are very plotless from the silent era. I can admit yeah, a lot of them I'm are just going back to gag. Basically, a lot of them are just plotless. Some of them try to keep like a theme, like the junk man is all is farmer alfalfa doing like is collecting like junk like in any rags, the bimbo cartoon. Huh. But halfway through <laughs> it, they switch from focusing on his route to this cat and mouse that are helping him finding this magnet and then just getting a chaotic mess out of the magic attracting things while Farmer Alfalfa has it like in his pants or something and then just throwing it back and forth. All right. Yeah, Strum, you've lost me now too. You see, I'm not, you <laughs> see, I'm not the whole idea of the titles of silent stuff. <clears throat> They're not, there's a lot of them aren't very unique. So I'm horrible with titles. The one, the one cartoons that are really hard to bend, like you can't binge silent cartoons. It's really I bad. think, I think, I think the big issue, I 
I probably could. I just haven't tried it, but I have I that never been those Jerry the Tight cartoons. They're just, they're not really good. They're just kind of. Bad. I love the Jerry on the Jobs. They're, they're short, they're funny. No, 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 not the Jerry on the Jobs. Those are good. I'm talking cool. about the Jerry Tight cartoons. Those ones made in Britain. Oh, those ones are a bit strange for me, I can admit, but I like. <laughs> I, they, they, they have an odd, I have an odd like for them, but. It's just think, weird. It's like yeah. why is there's a lot of stuff that's just train? weird because why they were really trying to figure out women? everything. He's a dog. Hmm. He's like a dog, and he only barks, but yet he's going out with like three different women. I think I think another thing with silent cartoons is that they really weren't sure what the audience wanted too much. Like they had they had a popularity, but they didn't have every. They didn't really have like audiences that really clamored. They claimed to, but I don't know. The, the thing with silent cartoons is that I'm not really sure how popular they were. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody couple. traditionally went to a, a movie to see the cartoon. That came yeah, later. I think, I, think the, I think only in the late 20s did they really start catching audiences, mostly with yeah. sound, but yeah. I think that's when they began doing matinees of Felix cartoons. Right. But and I really it, think that it, I think they really started capturing the audience by the sound era because you have these silly symphonies that are either really boring or really enchanting with the music. Right. And then you all, and then you also have like, and then also you really get more, you also get a, a second dimension with the characters, with their, with their voices that expose their personalities better. The only character that really was exposing his, his character very, very clearly was Felix, I would say. Well, yeah. the whole point of animation basically for most people was let's just milk the money we already get from comic strips and just, squeeze it out in a little bit of a, like a washcloth and just say we're gonna get more out of this a little bit yeah the mun jeff yeah. cartoons i could i could see that early on they were sort of like a way to e- expand um bud fisher's line of profits yeah they really like, only existed sharing... just to make they really only existed to make extra profits in my opinion for him because they were really seen as just worthless they would get one out a week and then they would just they would literally just print. I think they would printed. They made the print straight off the camera negative, which would wear them. Then they would just run them until they were beat to death, and then they would just be abandoned. And, uh, and then they he, just got all destroyed with the foxfire. So any sort of merit these cartoons, those cartoons had, were lost. You usually see the second series directed by Dick Humor that are a lot better. Actually, lost me, Strong. Yeah, Mark, we can agree that Strom knows a lot more than I do. <laughs> I will say this, uh, based on everything you said of, of streaming or binge-watching silent cartoons, the only two characters I can think of that I can actually stomach binging are uh, original Felix Cats and um, uh, Walt Disney Oswald, the Rabbits. I can watch those. I, they're the, the, know, the Disney cartoons other ones, are yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. It is, it is tough to binge watch the other, the other Disney silent cartoons. Yeah. For oh, yeah. Alice is hard. Stuff. Alice is very hard. Alice is very boring. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they are, they're, they're also, they're also really badly drawn for the first half of them. Yes. <laughs> you see, they, I think, I think the, there's a few of them I do like though, but they're yeah. all really the later ones. Yeah. I'll, I, well, I'll give a comparison. I think Alice's mis- Mysterious Mystery came out the same year as Dog Gone, Gone the Mutt and Jeff cartoon. Both of them are about dogs being turned into sausages. Mutt and Jeff goes all out with it. Like, they're really funny about it. Like, Jeff, like, Mutt enters Jeff into this dog contest wearing a dog suit so they can rig it and have him win the blue ribbon. But then immediately afterwards, all the dogs chase after him. This butcher sees them, gets all the dogs in his van somehow. 
and then they all get sent to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> and it's just it's horrifying but it's hilarious just watching this happen and then just and yeah. jeff struggling for his life to get out of this conveyor belt while mutt tries to chase after him to save his life mysterious yeah. mystery is actually pretty plot heavy centered it's actually not a bad alice comedy for that matter but it is it is really odd though just it's just really hard it. to know how do you understand how do you remember the titles of there's like so many cartoon series that you know the Warner Brothers cartoons they're so different each one of them I can remember the titles of but how do you remember the titles of them I, that's that's something I can't do it me <laughs> well there's it it's I really have a hard time saying it because it really all depends on what the cartoon's about I remember the story and then I try to associate the story with the cart same with thing with like the Casper stuff I can't remember those titles of the Casper cartoons <laughs> they're all different puns and they rarely relate to the to what happens in it okay. so yes I can agree there well, I, I can I can remember titles better if I'm a fan of something. But even yeah. still, I'm I'm horrible with names and I'm horrible with titles. I mean, you yeah, Camden already knows when I do the commentaries. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a librarian. That Looney Tune there, titles. the one that has uh uh you know the one that has the boxer, and then everybody's saying, well, it's this one with Buck Twenty. Blah, 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 you know, it's like okay, get, you know, yeah, it's like, it's, it is. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> they related to the story. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes I think I think one of the song cartoons. The East of Fables, to... half of them are food titles that have nothing to do with the oh, thing. Yeah. And they have that like dumb moral. That's, that's the first season of Terry Tunes. Yeah, I mean, the, the moral. The, the early Terry Tunes, it is really strange, but they would, the thing is that they would name them after a food, then they would name it, then they would set it in a location based on the food. I feel the thing Jerry Beck has mentioned a little bit that he thinks that they're named after food because they were trying to come up with titles quickly, which is completely fair because they had to make those like two weeks. They had it. They were on a two-week cycle of producing those things, which kind of makes sense. They're those actually are hard to good. stomach in a row. Yeah, those I'll are agree. like those are I'll like agree. really like completely pointless. But what bothers me is always the moral at the end. I'm like, these morals have nothing to do with the short. I mean, I think Manny Davis said in an interview. I think it was with Harvey Dinerov, I believe is his name. He or no, I don't know how to pronounce his name either. Is it Dernoff yeah. or Dernoff? <laughs> but whatever it is whatever it is he did an interview with him and he said yeah we didn't they were the funnest part to write nobody really cared that they were uh, that they had anything to do with the cartoon but they were funny they had wit mm-hmm. there's a few of them that i've seen that are really like i think one of them actually had like a quote that's become more famous later on i think it was for one that's called window washers and the moral at the end of it is Laugh with laugh and the world laughs with you. Snore and you sleep alone. <laughs> How do you know that? Um, the the copyright. <laughs> I actually I was, I was reading a few of the copyrights to these things because when they would re-release the ASOPs for TV, sometimes they would cut the moral out of the end, and then sometimes local stations so that had I'm the moral. Asking, would cut how do you remember themselves. the moral of the short? Because someone had texted it to me and I had it on hand. <laughs> That's a good well, answer. how many times? Here's a question for you. You're not asking asking this. How many times have you seen these cartoons in general? I mean, are I, you I, just... I don't rewatch the Aesop's Fables too many times. I have, yeah. I did watch that one a bit recently when he told me the moral of this one. The print had it cut, but it was it was a fine cartoon. I haven't seen. I would say I would say about three fourths of them I've never even seen. They a lot of them are very hard to find. The thing Mark, is, that, the that? thing is that with the is that the Aesop seemed to have been a lot more mass produced, mm-hmm. like like how they were made. They they were mass they were mass marketed, and then they just sold them all off, and then those prints just disappeared from there. 
Yeah, yeah, I like those cartoons. Three fourths of them I haven't seen, and then two fourths of those I don't know the titles of. Yeah, they they would they would also change the titles too, which is really confusing because then you could figure it out a little bit by style, and then if you and then if you can find the good copyright on it, then you can figure it out. But sometimes you can't. So I've only uh, seen things that if on especially on silent stuff, if it's come out on DVD. I didn't even collect tapes because I just was not a big fan of tapes for collecting cartoons. It was like annoying to fast forward to fast forward to the next cartoon. So yeah. when DVDs I think came out, I think I think know. with um I think silent cartoons are really fascinating because you really get to see how these guys built up things. You get to see early mm-hmm. examples of this or that. And some of them are actually pretty entertaining. Like, there's yeah. one Aesop fable called Springtime, where Farmer Alfalfa and his yeah. cat go to the beach, and they try to score with girls. I remember that one, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah Tommy put that one on the disc, <laughs> and it's a funny one. I do, too. Yeah. Okay. I think, but... I think it is, I think it is, there's no fool like an old, there, there's no, there's, there's not quite a fool like an old fool. Yeah. Which is a good moral, and it, 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 is, it is funny and actually for once relates to the cartoon. Isn't there like one where he goes to New York and he just like hits on? Oh, some that that's an earlier that. one because Terry kept using that character. He first made his own cartoon with him that was lost for many years till David Gerstein and Tommy located at the Library of Congress in a mostly complete print. Then they then he took him to Bray and made I think ten cartoons with him that luckily all survived. I haven't seen <laughs> too many, but New York is the one that he's put out from this beautiful print. And it's the only way you can see the the remember that Mark does not have. But um, basically, he goes to New York. He he basically has some money with him. This girl tries tries getting him drunk off his ass to get all that money, but his dog was in his was in his purse. So (laughs) so the so she doesn't get any of it. But then he goes down the street, and this guy comes and talks about like his rich friends that want to play cards with him. They try rigging the game, but his dog, again, helps him to rig the game in his own favor. He gets all aces. The dog humps the, the light, that, and it then breaks, and, farmer and the, the farmer and the dog make their escape, and they have all the money. You know, are you looking up the plots of these? I'm really curious. No, I, have, I, I, am, I am a librarian when it comes to these things. I am on the memory. He has a photographic well, I'm memory. I'm an actual librarian, real, real, and I don't know. I am. A, I, hate to, I, I hate to say this, but I am obsessive. Yes. Um, so do you have a plan ever to use this knowledge for good or evil? No, I mean, well, just seriously, do you, to yeah, like write, I use, write a book I try to use my blog for doing okay. a lot of this. Okay, but are there plans for you to like write, write a book or anything like that? I really, really would want to write something, but I don't really know what topic I want to write. I really kind yeah. of one day want to write a topic about the transition from silent to sound. But there are some examples of cartoons I'd want to see before I get into that. Like there's of a few course, talk yeah. cartoons I'd want to see yeah. like wedding vows. The second one that hasn't shown up anywhere outside of the archives. And if, and, and I think there's a few Paul Terry cartoons. I want to see the Terry tunes. Cause a lot of those early examples are missing in action, but they all exist at the archives as well. Like French fry, the first one from Alfafa. Which yeah. is a remake of that Seize New York cartoon, yeah. from what I've gathered. According to the Lost Media Wiki, means that they're they're not real. <laughs> <laughs> now Camden mentioned hats off Laurel and Hardy. Um, what are probably the top ten most sought after missing cartoons, to your knowledge? Um, There's no record. That's actually a bit interesting because there a lot of it does exist, but. If there's a lot, I'll count this as sort of sought after in cartoons I want to see that do exist. I'll clarify. 
But one of the things I really, really, one of the things I want to show up are, is like, there's these three cartoons produced by Bray and the sounder called Miss Nanny Goat. They seem kind of, they seem really odd. One of them actually had to be shot twice because of a camera error. So they had to refilm it all twice, which had to have been painstaking to do. <laughs> Don't, but um, those are those are lost. Can I add one to this list? Sure. I would say, and for some reason, I read somewhere that it was released on sixteen millimeter. Gertie on tour. Those that Gertie. That second, I've seen. I've seen a fragment of Gertie on tour. Yeah, it only got partially complete, but not the whole film. I think it only was partially complete. It was never completely finished. No, it was completely finished. I've read. I've not read that, but if it was, then uh, that's a bit unfortunate. But I, if it did, it was completely. I'd love to see that. And then, like his the Centaurs cartoon that McKay did also. Yeah, he was working on a few things that did never got finished. I know. I don't think Centaur Def, Centaurs was definitely not finished. I know that. Yeah, that 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 I never that you know here's stuff that I don't own that I've also checked out from the library and note that Windsor McKay said. Mm. Actually, no, I didn't check it out from the library. Mark, this might shock you, but when we watch in college, when you when you take a film class, mm-hmm. you don't have a streaming account you have to get. You have to get a Netflix DVD account still, mm-hmm. um, which is really weird. I know. So I milked it a bit, and I got the the Windsor McKay set that John Kmaker did. Yeah, it's a really good set. Yeah, I think that was also an image. If I think, yeah, I think if I remember yeah, correctly, that was, yeah, I think that was on image. Uh, image had a lot of good stuff but it all went out of print and very little of it came back you know it's like uh, i'm trying another thing i'd really want to see there's a few columbia cartoons that um are that they don't have the masters on that some of them have collector's prints some of them haven't shown up one of the ones that's never shown up is he can't make it stick you can hear the full audio and you can see the second half of the image but you can't see the first half it's really interesting Hmm. it was the famous the, the famous Yiddish cartoonist, Milk Gross, actually wrote, yeah, we, actually did the storyboards and he designed the characters loosely. It's a weird wartime film. Mm-hmm. Like the star is Hitler and he, the first half that's missing is him, is him um, trying to court this girl that represents Germany and her children. What? Two of the children do everything he does. One of the child hates him and he gets the, the lower end of, of stuff like some weird and then then the image cuts in after they get married and you see and you see him trying to put like his wallpaper up and his wallpaper is of course his ideology but it never sticks it's never going to stick as the child says so he goes to his neighbors which are other countries and he says that for more paste he'll give them his wallpaper too but they all collapse when they when they try (laughs) and put up really odd but it's really fascinating to me this seems like some weird kinky shit It, it, it kind of is. Now, I want to see, what about that? Isn't there like a sound Terry tunes that Jerry Beck posted about a while back that's not? So I actually, I think I contributed a little bit to that. It's called Missing Terry tunes. I contributed a few images, I think, just to help. They all have them at the archives. They all, they all the Terry, all the sound Terry tunes do exist, but there's a few I haven't seen, like the really early ones. Mm-hmm. Like that French fry film I mentioned, that's sort of a remake of Seize New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a poster of it where you can see like Farm Alfalfa drooling over this really nicely drawn girl. <laughs> and there's a few others. Yeah, Farm Alfalfa seemed to drool over girls a lot. I think he did more drooling than farming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Farmer drooling. And there's, there's another one called Quack Quack, which is the first sound cartoon Bill Tyler animated on for Terry Tunes, mm-hmm. which is 
which is kind of a bit of a milestone. Are there any major sound cartoons that were released to theaters that are like considered lost now? And I don't mean partial. I mean complete cartoons. You know, they're not around. Um, is it maybe a Betty a Boop or something like that. Fleischer did a series of commercials. Okay. Fleischer did a series of commercials in 1931. All but two of them are lost. Mark Kostler okay. has one of them called Hurry, Hurry Doctor that was on the Fleischer Rarities Thunderbeam okay. set. And then there's also in my old Moldsmobile, which exists in 35. Oh, I'm Thunderbeam sure also put that out. Lost. Mm-hmm. No, what? these are these two exist, but the rest are lost. There's okay. one called. A jot for General Germ, which was for, ooh, I think it was for Listerine. Huh. Then they did a few others for for oil, and then they did one for India Tea. I think they did, oh, no. Hmm. I can look this up very quickly. Now, wasn't there also, like, and this wasn't Fleischer, but uh, where's that? Where's the, do- where's Dr. The- Dr. Where's Seuss the- did some commercials. for. Oh, like, yes. Dr. Like Seuss that. did yeah, two yeah. commercials. Terry Toons animated those. Oh, okay. I didn't know who animated them. Yes, but it was I- a job for a job for General Firm was for Lysol. Yeah. I thought and UPA did those. UPA did later ones, but the first Dr. Seuss animated cartoons were done at Terry Toons for Audio Cinema. Warner's really actually distributed them. Hmm. But they've never shown up, and people really want to see them. Yeah, of course, me. And yeah, they, they probably they probably aren't that good, but I'm very interested. Cause they're for that the Flint things that he advertised. Yeah, for, yeah, of course. yeah. And so, then 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 the then the other stuff that he did was, of course, those Fleischer ones. There's like Step on It, which is another one of those Texaco oil ones. Mm-hmm. I and there's Step on It, and there's the Jolly General Germ I mentioned for Lysol. And they also did one for India tea called Suited to a Tea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did a few of those. People weren't happy that they were basically paying to see entertaining ads. It got killed after in my Mary Oldsmobile. I think that, yeah, that's what that was wrong with. The, that's what people hated with those Chiquita banana cartoons, too, that, that Republic. They, yeah. There's the other, the other, mm, there's a lot of stuff from that era that remains hard to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a few really hard to see early sound things, but a lot of it does exist. Okay. But yeah. I think I think some like like of course I mentioned those terror tunes. There's a few talk cartoons that yeah. are elusive but do exist. There's mm. those lot those those, those Betty Boop cartoons. I was I was wow. very I was very excited to go to one of Tommy's cartoon carnivals and I got to see the Ace of Spades cartoon. Yeah. Which is all told in song and it's basically Bimbo playing this poker game. Hmm. And it's really fun, actually. It's it's a really it's very distinctive with the music choices that they made, and it's a, it looks sounded like it was recorded with a black choir, hmm. like a gospel choir. Interesting. There's hmm. also that lost bit that that lost Betty Boop cartoon that was what the Buzzy Boop until that little prick decided to. <laughs> <laughs> Buzzy Boop at the concert. Yes, that was yeah. actually lost until. Until they found it in Russia, there yeah. is one Betty cartoon that's still at large, though. It's yeah, that's what through. I think. Uh, it's it's Jerry called said. "In the Shade of the Old Applesauce." Yeah, and I it think... was used. There, there has to be a print of around of this. I, I, I hate to imagine I, I, that there is one Betty that's permanently lost, and one from the early '30s, which means that is probably a very good one at that. I pity Jerry Beck and Tommy Staffus because I feel like they get an email from some random schmo about a court. They do. They do. They do. And those poor and, and we'll probably send another one their way by talking about this. Yeah. Those poor Where members. is it? Actually, that's a weird thing, you know. And I know this from like reading uh it's Gerstein's Oswald book, you know. I think he did it, didn't he? Or he helped on yeah, it at least. Awesome. He helped with it. He was yeah. probably the main force um, behind it. 
but uh, you know since the book came out they found a cartoon since and it's like yeah um but the original version of the book didn't have it and so i'm like wow and then i think they found another one after they updated it yeah, it seems to me like why would it be so hard after so many years to find these things? Because certainly there's enough people looking for it. Certainly, you know, it's like can't people go through their vaults or is it just stuck at some guy's house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a Camden's house under his bed or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, like this stuff is hidden anywhere. Mark, did you ever hear about that? Um, about the 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 Superman action comic story that some lady had. Some... Oh, it was in the wall. I've yeah, it was like in the wall, and they they, yeah. were, they were taking down the house, and they just found it baked in the wall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff that shows up in crazy places. Yeah, well, they used to like, put I think, the I newspapers. Think, I, think, I like to think that um. Yeah, they might be. Yeah, there might be I'm, some. I'm trying to like. Of course, we mentioned. Let's see. I think I've heard of one film that was found in like some thrift store, like a Chaplin film that was lost. Yeah. Yeah, there and might be some behind think, that, that that King Kong poster I told you, Mark. Yeah. I don't yeah, know what, yeah. what's under that piss, 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 piss hungry poster right there. Yeah. That, that's, it, a, that's a real example of hoarding there. In, in the case of the comic book, I mean, people would stuff uh, newspapers on the walls as insulation. They weren't concerned about, oh, being first appearance. They were concerned about preserving it, these things. Yeah, it was just, like, hey, I mean, this is, I mean, this is I like, like newspaper. Joke, <laughs> yeah. I like to joke that when a film gets destroyed, someone always thinks there's another copy of this around. Like, yeah. I think someone found this film in Australia. They were, they, they were, they got like a notice of when you see films report what they are if they're lost make sure that they are discovered and he found like this like these reels of film in a in a garbage truck so he chased after it and it was a lost film yeah i like let's see the other thing that was it's amazing Ugh. to me there's like lost television shows even yeah there's even, yeah because that wasn't lost tv cartoons you know and stuff like yeah, that this, i mean the colonel bleeps i think some of them are lost yeah and, and of course, I, the, I think let's see there's not there let's see i know crusader yeah, rabbit exists there, in its entirety like, but you can't see like it that a way segment of that mcbrag of that of that underdog show you couldn't find well the 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 show that's elusive on total television is the beagles I mean, there's like three episodes that are kind of out in inferior quality, one of them in color and the other in black and white. But there was a color show. Uh, Joe Harris, the animator and cartoon designer, he had the interpositives. I've talked to Jerry Beck. I've talked to other people. But since, you know, it's not 1920s silent footage, nobody cares. It's 1960s sound cartoons yeah. that weren't considered the at highest least, at quality. At least it's going to survive in some way. Yeah. Because, of course, it's, like, it's on a nitrate stock, which could go at any minute. Yeah. So I could see why Let's see. I'm the trying earlier think, stuff. I'm trying to think. There are there are but, some cartoons, silent stuff, but, that, of course, got distributed television. Hey, 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 hey. But, but Wait a minute. Everyone you, slow down. I can't believe I'm the one that has to say this. <laughs> but, yeah, when they would also redistribute stuff from the old days to silent. And yeah. some of that stuff even hasn't shown up. Yeah. Well, you guys there's watch. A, there's a crazy wait, cat. Wait, wait, wait. I want to say this. When you guys watch, when you're like my age, and I'm 55, there'll be this big surge to get stuff from like the 1960s and 70s out there, and it won't be existing because nobody bothered to look all these years. I'm a big proponent of finding stuff of any era, not just the silent era. And it's like right now we're letting mm-hmm. stuff yeah. from the yeah. 50s, uh, 60s, 70s the other, die the because somebody... they go, oh, that's mm-hmm. inferior. It's not very good. Yeah. You know. I'm trying to think about our stuff you wanted. I want to see. There are some lost Lance Oswalds from the very early ones. I think there's three that are entirely lost. Yeah. There's one that showed up on eBay years ago, but nobody knows where that print ended up. <laughs> 
It's I a guess, print called, it's a cartoon it's called Bowery Bimbos. If you have that print, let us know because I want to see it. It's Oswald's a cop and he's chasing this rat around. Hey, I know one. What about those Daffy Diddy's shorts that that Sutherland did? Oh yes, one of those exists. I think I think it's been told to me that a few others exist as well. Well, well, Mark, hmm? that you will you you now you nearly wrote a book on Sutherland. I didn't write I a book on Sutherland. I wrote an article on Sutherland. You're aware that I still want it. What? I Say that again. again. Louder. You're, you're aware that I still would like to see one. A John Sutherland book? Well, have a publisher mm-hmm. tell me that they're interested in publishing it, and I'll write it. Because my I current... would I would I I would really want more of those Daffy Diddies to show up because yeah. the one that exists that that I, well there are a few others I believe, but yeah. the one that I've existence that the one that has I've seen the lady said no that's on more stop motion marvels by Thunderbean. It's really funny. It was directed by Frank Tashlin, and it's it's just this really odd tale of this Mexican guy trying to court this lady that keeps saying no, and then eventually he ends up in a shotgun marriage. Um, <laughs> can I interrupt and say one thing, dear yeah. Mister Omart? Please publish Mark's please publish Mark's book about about the John Sutherland Studio. Signed, mm-hmm. the management. The <laughs> I can try uh, again after I'm done with my mad book, but I mean, that was one I proposed right after I did my first total television book. I said, well, I wrote an article also because he, how I got started with uh, Bear Manor is he saw my article about underdog in Hogan's Alley. So he said, can you expand it into a book? Sure. And so the book came out and then he says, what would you like to do next? And I go, well, I wrote an article about John Sutherland productions for Hogan's Alley. Could you expand that into a book? And he goes, Nah. And so that was the end of that. I never pursued it any further. And I I'm lost trying, track of his son. I, I don't even know if he's still really alive. See yeah. What? Is um there's a lot of interesting stuff that just isn't seen and just wasn't considered that. Like there's a lot of experimental yeah. stuff that's never been seen. Yeah. Like I think one one of the experiments very early on was by Bray, where he where like this one artist came in, he wanted to do silhouette films. And some of it was, I think some of it was silhouette. Some of it might have used some different, some drawings here and there. Yeah. There was probably cutouts involved. They were called silhouette fantasies. Doesn't part of that exist? Um, I'll get to that in a second because it's interesting. Okay. But they jumped to all the masters in the 1940s because it was deteriorating and they don't exist anymore except Haunts for Rent, which um, Tommy, I think Tommy founded at the Library of Congress while researching Bray films. The print was almost completely deteriorated, so it's still pretty much lost. Hmm. And that's that's a disappointing that? story. It's on the Bray Animation Project site. Because he reads, Camden. It's not just sitting there watching cartoons all day. He reads. <laughs> and it, it is it is really upsetting to see such an oddity just no longer exist. Well, Mark. Dogs. <laughs> I'm having lonesome dogs. They they oh they're both on at once oh no anyway continue <laughs> what do you what do you want camden well mark yes. um <laughs> what was this what was this you said i more watch cartoons than study them i i, t- I said you, you watch more cartoons than read <laughs> that's what i said you know because you watch you know, more cartoons than study them yeah well that's 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 the total definition of me i mean I, I learned things over the years, but I mean, mm-hmm. when I've really got really in depth is when I have an assignment or a book project that I have to really get in depth. I mean, before I did a total television book, I mean, I, I saw some underdogs. I saw some Tennessee tuxedos. I didn't really, 
venture to watch all of them. I just saw a lot of them. And then, you know, when I started doing the book, I was obsessed and had to get them all. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing with the Patty Freeling. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, I saw this and that and the other. I mean, I, I, I really, really, <laughs> hold on, hold the on. only studio I would be really all qualified. Right, guys, we got to stop interrupting each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't believe I have to be the one that says that because I was corrected last time for this. The the only book I could really write about is Terrier Tunes because I've seen so many of them, but I'm not qualified for that because I really don't know too much about them info-wise. That's more of a Charlie Junkins thing than me. I really want no time to write a book on Terry Tunes. I think I think Mark Newgarden would also be a good choice, but I think Charlie and Thad are doing a thing about East Coast animators that would probably answer everything I'd want to know. Yeah. Was yeah. there I think I think I think the one book that I really really want to see, of course, as I mentioned, I would love to write something about the transition from silent to sound, yeah, and and write about more in depth. But another one of those things I want to see are some very early Crazy Cat sound cartoons. A lot of them do exist, like I think Spookies and the Cats Meow. They have masters on those, but you can't see them for now, at least. Maybe one day we'll see them, but. Now, would, wasn't there a documentary like when animation was in New York documentary that was coming out? Um, I I don't know exactly that. You might be thinking of the Cartoon Carnival documentary. No, maybe. no, no, not that one. There was a book that there was a doc, I know Tony Benedict was in it. Jerry Beck was in it about Cartoon New York and New, animation in New York. Mm. The cartoons were New Yorkers. That was the title of it. Mark, do you know what happened to that documentary? No. <laughs> Also, is, is the Harvey documentary still in production or is that gone the well, way? It's still in production, but I mean, you know, it's like kind of a standstill. You know, it's like the, it's the, 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 the yeah, the pandemic kind of stopped everything. So who knows when he'll get it done. He's, he promises he's still working on it. That's the best I know about. It. That's Johnny Harvey that's working yeah, on I thought, that. I thought you were I thought you were involved in it. I was interviewed. I was flown to LA. I, I got interviewed. Jerry got interviewed. Mm-hmm. Mark Evanier got interviewed. What? You're flown to LA, or did I was you flown to LA for it? How about that? I'm a celebrity, anyway. But um, yeah, well, you I mean you can read about it on IMDb? It shows all the people that are in it. Uh, right. It's uh, called uh, Ghost, Ghost Empire. So I mean, just look up Ghost Empire on IMDb, but it'll say in production hell. Well, it doesn't say hell, but you know, mm-hmm. it just says in production. So um, uh, I'm I'm thinking about more like some of these things that are just don't exist, like the. The Bray Studio was actually probably the best of like putting films out again. They because they made like a big TV package set that contains some of their more popular stuff, but they left a lot of stuff out that they just couldn't find. Like they no longer had a lot of their first character. The first character created for animation, the first real headliner, Colonel, he's a liar. A lot of oh, yeah. those don't exist. Those are really dull. It's a lot of them. <laughs> I like them. I like the ones I've seen, but I haven't seen very many, so I don't have the, the only I've seen I've seen I've seen the detective one is like, I just love how messed up it is with the whole chicken thing, of just <laughs> putting it back together. That just, it is messed up, and I want to see more of that. I've seen another one from that era called Knighthood and another one called Forbidden Fruit that are also pretty fun. I, I did like the one where I think he kills a lot of people. Like, he literally kills things constantly. He, like, he, 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 he often got his sheep. Oh, and, you're thinking of the African hunt one where he kills all yeah, these animals. He, he basically puts a bear to sleep by drink by 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 sobering him up. Yeah, yeah. That that one, that was a really early one. It's it's sort of a remake of the first Hezlar cartoon, which is a survivor. I think an archive has it called Colonel Hezlar in Africa. They reused about two thirds of it. 
for that African hunt cartoon, which is the second one. I yeah. think I think Tommy sourced that from a French print that exists. Mm-hmm. But like, but like, and it's like, and it, it gets an elephant to like throw the bear and the and the bear lands like a million feet away and kills itself. Often basically. they often he was really just getting his crappy out of him, like. There's one called On the Jump where this kangaroo just beats the living crap out of him where he's nearly dead and needs like a blood transplant. So this doctor goes and he gets and he gets it from this this donkey who's riding on this jackass and he gets the blood from him and he's a liar goes home after the blood transplant and he becomes a jackass to his wife and he gets a divorce. Mm. And it's 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 those kind of things that just make him really odd. They did a second series of those where it's more like out of the inkwell based, where he's this character in a cartoonist room, or sort of like living like with George Stallings or Walter Lance actually as like his housemate. Hmm. That's where the detective and knighthood ones come from, because the knighthood one has Lance as as sort of like the person with him, where he's practicing like jousting, and he's a liar, tells him how he was a musketeer. Or no, he was a knight and he saved this king from the three musketeers. You see, I'm in like between y'all where I like all the silent stuff too. And I like all that, but I know more about the sound stuff. Oh, I, I do too. I just, I just, I just know a bit much about these. There are <laughs> others that know a lot more than I do. I believe that. And I believe that. <laughs> what do you think about this book? I, you know, have we talked about that one? I have not, I have not gotten that it. one. That one has some plagiarism in it. Oh, okay. I, I will just go on record. I do not like this book. It is. It does have a bad format to it. And yes. it's because of the formatting. And I don't think I really learned all that much considering how thick it is, you know, and it's like, I would love to have a good Terry Tunes book. I was like hoping that there would that would a friend be wants it. me to write a Terry Tunes book, yeah. but not, but like I said, I'm not the person qualified for that. Who do you think would be qualified for it? Milton Charlie Knight. Junkins, definitely. Milton Knight. Well, I think Milton I think Knight. I think Charlie Junkins knows a lot of it because he talked to Manny Davis's daughter. Yeah. He he knew no, George Canetta, who was an animator there. Milton Knight knew a lot of Terry animators. I think he yeah. did. He did too. But I think I think even Milton would admit. That that he probably isn't the best for the job, but yeah, he does. He, he, he would be, he would be very him. good to talk about it, like give like an overview of the quality of the films themselves. Yeah, I, I think I, or Jerry Beck, I guess, would be the would be the another person qualified. Yeah, I I I really, I really just kind of want to write like that overview of transitioning from sound to sound, where I don't really have because it's really more about talking about the films themselves and less about the people behind them, really. Yeah. But luckily, I know all I would really need to know in terms of writing about that. Isn't is there it, another book about Fleischer coming out? By, I think that's Michael Gobbs. Jobs. I, I know you're about. Is it supposed to be good or not? It it is going to be good. He 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 knows he knows a hell of a lot. He was he was actually was he, he was he tried with the family really hard, but but because they were black and white films in the '90s, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but Ray also knows a lot, and his book was so-so. It, it, uh, it's because he froze himself into the narrative. I think we can admit that. But that's a story for another time, really. <laughs> but I think, I think, I think, I think the Fleischer story is good, but it, it is in date. It is in need of more info. Which which one? You're talking about Kavarge's book, or just the Kavarge. story in general? Kavarge. Yeah. Okay. That well, one, that one is the most definitive, but it is severely dated by this point. Yeah. I think that Richard Fleischer's book. Yeah. I think the problem with that book is that 
it has a lot of myth. It has a lot of those old myths in it. Like, you yeah, know. I think it also credits a bit of Fleischer. I think a lot of books yeah. credit Fleischer a lot more than he should have been. Like, yeah, sort of like they make it sound like he was more in charge than he was. Like because Disney, a lot of Disney, it's kind of like a book about Disney where a yeah. lot of the Disney mythos is in that book and like, yeah. right? Like you know, Disney created Mickey Mouse on a train, kind of that kind of stuff. That that kind of I I, 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 I think I think he really was just sketching out. I think when he was on the train, he was really just coming up with what his next idea would be, not his next character. Yeah, and also, no story. I think every story like that is bullshit. Because mm. those <laughs> stories get told time and time and time again to the to point to their just become a melting pot. Think about how many people said they created Mr. Magoo or Bugs Bunny. Yeah. You can have a list of people who said they created it. Yeah. Charlie Thorson, Mel Blank. Mel Blank claimed he did it. Mel Blank and Chuck Jones claimed he did it later in his life. Bob Clampett did. Tex Avery did. Bob McKimskin did. Mm-hmm. Chris Freeling did. McKimskin, I don't think he actually did. What? Mm-hmm. McKimskin probably didn't. He, I think he knew his place as just he, he, he drew the definitive bugs, and that's that. Yeah, but yeah, but like you know, Bob Clampett did, and Bob Clampett Man, did. Every and- everyone sort of did. Everyone was sort of a father to him in different ways, but no one was the father. Yeah, Bob really, the only the only person you could really say was his father was Avery, but even then, I would, I would say he was only the, he was he was the forefather, but not. I actually the think only you father. could say Mel Blanc was. Just because Mel Blanc, Mel Blanc. Well, Mel Blanc, he 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 he, he would melt in the voice later. Yeah, he became but, a lot. He became a lot more younger. His voice became younger as it went by. <laughs> now, now I think that. Now, Clampett always said that Bugs was named after Bugsy Siegel. I don't buy that. And then I think I think I think, I think Bugs named... Bugs was really just named after Bugs Hardaway, of course. Yeah, I thought that. And, too. That, and the story with Bugs's name is that Bugs Bunny was always the name, even in 1939 when he was in prototypes. They kept using that name, Bugs Bugs yeah. Bunny, even then. They must have just looked at model sheet and seen Bugs as Bunny, and they just assumed his name was Bugs Bunny. Any story otherwise is untrue. He was always Bugs Bunny. They just hadn't officially called him that until after a wild hair. Yeah, and I think that also, like, there's a lot of mythos. Like, you know, I was telling Mark about that book by Charlie Thor- about Charlie Thorson. There's a lot of mythos in that that seemed a little warped too. Like mm-hmm. that Chuck, Jen- like the war- the biggest example is that apparently this makes no sense. That that Aver- that Droopy was fully designed by Thorson during the production of Tortoise and the Hare at Disney's, mm. and when he went to MGM, which was before when he was at MGM and left MGM before Avery ever got there. Let me point out, he gave Avery the design to use. Doesn't make any sense because he was at MG- he had left MGM before Avery had gotten there. Hmm. That whole story seems bogus. It seems like bullshit. <laughs> I think I think the other thing that I would say with mythos is, of course, like, oh, Disney lost Oswald. That's not true. The thing with Oswald is really that is that I feel like I feel like Disney got a little bit upset that that he was being cut out of the contract with Universal to produce them cheaper, and that he was trying to see if he could get any rights to them, but. No, he never owned Oswald. Universal always owned Oswald. I think he knew that. He definitely had to. It's really odd. Yeah. But the Disney Studio tries framing or like, Charles no, Mintz is this evil guy who, oh, he stole Oswald and stuff like that. But 
Yeah. Well, the is, but... He created all sorts of different characters, and then everyone got mad at him. But also, Jones did that in the mid in the late two thousands too, right before he died, in like mm-hmm. two thousand two thousand one. He did all that all the time too. And I feel I feel like Barrier didn't. Isn't there a story where Jones started claiming he had some influence on Casper? I haven't yeah. even heard that. The <laughs> thing is that I think I, I once read that he that he tried using like this cartoon that he made in 1940 called Ghost Wanted as saying like, oh, they sort of base Casper off this. It's not true at all. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, you should take that from Mark's opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely <laughs> couldn't have been two different, two different coasts, different Mark's studios. Mark's the king of Casper, which I don't know if that's a sad term or a okay term. It's sad. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> But you know, oh, no. the only people I will accept as being the creators of Casper are Joe Aurelio and uh, Seymour Wright, and that's it. Yeah, they they created him for certain. Yeah. He was already created by that point anyway for that book they wanted to do. Yeah, they were doing a children's book, and then they went off to war, and then after they came back, uh, they sort of they sold the story to famous. Famous, yeah. Now, know. what I don't know is it's kind of funny. I don't know the exact amount that they sold it for because there's stories that say 125. 150 100 you know they would have probably been paid they probably the novel tunes in the early years tried really tried pushing some cartoons as being like special the the friendly ghost the first casper was one of them yeah well i get the feeling they were paid a little bit more than the average story was yeah but but the the amount always differs and of course yeah so i don't know like bill of sale or anything like that has turned up if i knew how much they sold for a story i would probably have a good estimate to tell you but i don't know yeah so I, mean, I don't know. I don't even know through all yeah. my research because uh, yeah, uh, we no I've interviewed comics and Mark Arnold too. I, I've interviewed ten different people about it. I got ten different answers. So it's like there is no definitive answer on yeah. that. It's know? like if you've seen, if you've heard the story about Mr. Magoo, every human being who worked on Mr. Magoo claimed it was based on their own uncle. Everyone claimed it was based on his uncle. I think yeah. the others claimed that they they all admitted that they had a little bit of influence, but Hubley. Hubley probably created him because he was director, of course. Yeah. But it seems like, like they might have. It seems like they might have based his design off one of the animators on, there, on, but on, I'm not hold certain. On, hold on. Hold on. Let's all slow down here. Um. Now, Mark, didn't you also say that like 15 different people say they created Richie Rich too? Which well, not I, that many. Yeah. To be honest, I never cared for Richie Rich because I thought he was just Rich yeah. Cat- well, I mean. It, it, it's it, it's happened in comic books and animation and all over the place you know success breeds yeah. million authors yeah, failure breeds nobody so nobody's going around using obscure harvey characters nobody's going around saying uh i created jackie jokers let's say you know it's like um you know but richie Lana, rich turned out there to be their biggest star so everybody started saying that they were i i i've come to the conclusion after researching for, for so long it has got to be that they were having a meeting, and Sid Couchy said this, they were having a meeting, just a staff meeting, hey, we're starting a new book called Little Dot, we need a backup feature, what ideas do you have? And everybody was just like brainstorming, giving different ideas, and there was not one person who says, I have Richie Rich, and he's like this, and that's, you know, mm. so that's what the it's, problem it's sort is. Of like, it's sort of like Van Buren, because nobody really knows who, but somebody... At a meeting, they had to try and come up with new characters to replace Tom and Jerry and spice up the Aesop Sables a little bit. Someone suggested that they should try to do Otto Slogau's characters because they first did they first did those um 
that little like general guy they had like a, sol- a british soldier guy they did mm-hmm. and then someone's and then they later did those little king series that's actually pretty good mm-hmm. the yeah thing with them is the thing with the little kings is that they're not really faithful to slow gals thing but they have that regular van buren randomness yeah, I mean, that happens for crazy cats those are those are i mean if you play, if you want to compare them to harriman strip they're like they're like mm-hmm. shit but the i thing, mean the, the, charming yeah the, the little kings have have one advantage to them because they really tried doing something that looked like slow gals art that isn't but it is a very charming look to them jim tyre did a few of those and he did a pretty fine job on them for what it's worth yeah, that's one thing I can't do that a lot of people can do. Mark, you say I know everything, but one of the things I cannot do is I cannot identify animators. With I mean, I'm not I the best at it. I just know that he was on them because he's listed as director. There's a few of them I can I, I can identify Scribner very easily. People like, you know, Ken Harris or a little bit I can do. And Tyre's the obvious one that, I, that he's easy to identify. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, I can and, identify and I'm not if they be able to tell you who Vol- what what scene Volney White did. Yeah, I could probably I could probably do a lot a bit of that, but not as good as other people. Right. And I but, think half the reels are bullshit. By the way, the, the expert on it is always like Mike Kazala. He knows every Kazala. Yeah. I would say yeah. Um, Even Milton Knight's pretty good, you know. It's like we met. Charlie Junkins is also pretty good, of course. Yeah, and it's like I can't. I don't see how you can ever figure it out, especially the better the cartoon is like um if if it's something made by disney the whole point was to make it look like one person drew the whole thing the thing and with so, disney is that it's yeah. the thing with disney is that they have all those drafts that list who did what yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's true so I mean, yeah they do just, have that if you want to really know did, but i don't if, think i don't think the disney guys admittedly were as interesting in acting as other animators yeah who didn't have who weren't taking all these classes they had to learn on their own and they came to their own conclusions on how to do it. So you get someone like Connie Rosinski at Terry Tunes yeah. who it, who learned from Tyla and he sort of explores in his own yeah. way. And he was a brilliant character actor. Rosinski is also very easy to identify, but I mean, I can't tell you what a Volney White animation looks like. Um, the the uh, Of course, the other animator there who was really good at character acting at Terry Tunes was Carlo Vinci, who did a lot of the dancing stuff. And he did all that really, really fine character stuff that is just amazing to look at. Vol- um, the other person I can identify them very easily is Eric Goldberg. I talk to Eric all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Eric, how can you... I was at this Chuck Jones event. I'm like, Eric, how can you identify <laughs> this? And Eric was sitting there drinking, doing something. I'm like, Eric, how can you identify this? He says, well, he says, this is how... And he was going over this. And I'm like, I wish I recorded it. And I have no idea what he was talking about. I had no uh- idea. It made no sense. So, I mean, going back to comic books, I mean, like Harvey artists, I can identify all of them. And some people are like, oh, you know, it took me a while. Those, those Terry Tunes guys out, also, but, did their, also did the Terry Tunes comics. Oh, wait, Mark, yeah. finish what you're saying. It was just saying that, you know, it's a uh, comic books, I could identify it, but it took a while. But comic books are a little mm-hmm. bit different because you can really look at something and, and you find have out. More to look, the, you have you, more to clear. You have more of a clearance to look at. You're looking at saying right. it's still not moving. But when something's moving, it's like, uh, how can you tell unless it is like a gym tire where it's all blue, yeah, you know, and, like that, yeah. you know. And, and they <laughs> have their own touches. Right. The, some animators will stick very close to the, to the layouts they're given, some won't. What, what? I always wonder how Jim Tire ever got hired because I mean that is funny. That is a very funny story. He was hired because he could do a lot of footage. He did one minute of animation a week. Well, that's because Terry was cheap, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Terry Terry kept him around because he did the most footage of anyone. Mm-hmm. 
you usually had to do he did he did i think at least twice the amount of footage most singers had I know, to do ken harris was kept around because even though he's a great animator he was kept around because he worked free mm. and he also was able to animate 30 feet which is about 25 seconds of animation a week even at williams he could do 25 in 25 seconds a week how do you know that <laughs> Eric Goldberg talked about it. Eric Goldberg knows all. I get. I need to get him. And he on knew the show. Harris. He was at Williams. Yeah, and Eric, he asked I Williams you, how he did Eric's it. Phone. He was. I can give you Eric's email, Mark. Okay. All right. Well, we've been talking for like an hour and a half all over each other and everything. <laughs> Is there anything else we want to cover before we kind of wrap it up? I don't want to go forever. I think. I think I'm fine. Okay. I, I apologize if I interrupted too much. Mark. Oh, that's okay. We all, all did. Right. Um, any more juicy gossip that I have to cut out? <laughs> anyway, nope. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll show you one more thing just to kind of show off things because I grabbed a bunch of stuff and I never showed this. This is really fringes of animation, if anything. But uh, has anybody ever seen this book, King Kojo? No, what is that? Yeah. Oh, what is it? It is written it's by a... Ruth Plumy Thompson, who is a successor illustrated to... by Marge. Yeah, it's Marge who did uh, Little Lulu. It's uh, Ruth Plumy Thompson was the successor to L. Frank Baum on the Oz books. It looks like an Oz book, and you know it has nice color pictures. I'll try to find a color one. There we go. Fascinating! Wow. And never heard of this. It's very hard to find cheap, and I'm a cheap guy. Candid yeah. knows this. You know, <laughs> usually this is like. A, hundred dollar to sometimes four or five hundred dollar range because it's a little bit scuffed right here you can tell that the piece is missing i think i got it for like 40 bucks which is a steel deal i mean it's in real nice shape and everything like that but anyway I'm, I'm a completist i just gotta have things yeah well i didn't really want me, it all that for much me, I'm only I, it's complete if I know was, for know? me complete for me is if i have some of it and i know people that will that can borrow me stuff that also yeah. have things and if we all collectively have it i consider something complete yeah. in collection yeah I know and, I have to have things tangible. I have to have things the right way. I've OCD. I, have I just grabbed this randomly also. So everybody knows who Ted Key is. Yes, yeah. no? Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is not, uh, it doesn't have a dust jacket, but this is uh, Many Happy Returns by Ted Key. And I just bought it randomly. And when I looked at, actually, I looked at it before I bought it, but I only got it for five bucks. But it has a, a sketch in it by Ted Key. One his... thing I really want to buy, <laughs> so I think I think they've republished it at some point, which is um Myron Wallman's book called Eve. Hmm. Myron Wallman has a book. Myron Wallman did like this early graphic novel. It has no words in it. It's called Eve. Sort of like a modern. Yeah, my, it's a my, modern my, version my, of the Adam and Eve. This, we've had my, and I brought you my, Myron Wallman's sons on the show. You did. Have they ever talked about the Eve book? No, <laughs> because I should probably try you. to talk to them about we it. We can do then. it again. Where are they now? We can do another show. Bring them back, you know. Okay. Um, I don't know if they know no, anything. I know Rob, I'm, I'm looking... I know Rob Walton. I mean, I think really... I think one of them talked about in one of the commentaries for the Popeye said where they um where they mentioned that he would that if that if Waldman really liked someone, he would gift them a copy of the book. Let's see if How I can you know see. that. Yeah, Mark. Oh, wait a minute. He did talk about this. Tell a lie. He did it's talk kind about of, it. Kind of looks like it. Kind of looks like some of that early famous studio yeah, stuff. There we go. He, he did talk about this on the. Podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he did talk about it. I'd well, forgotten. I'm looking to have him back. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I think a few, a few, a lot of people around there, like I, like Milk Gross, also did like early graphic novel stuff with yeah with that with that pantomime book that he did. Yeah. 
I found a milk gross book. Uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Nye's baby, I think is what, <laughs> you know, and it was just random and old. Oh, that story. old, like that. <laughs> yeah. Family? yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, milk gross, milk, milk gross was, was really prolific and sometimes because milk gross would occasionally go into animation. Like he actually contributed stories to some, he can he would occasionally animate and contribute writing to the Aesop fables and equal cartoons hmm. before that. He actually worked for Bray and did cartoons, but only two of them survive. Hmm. One of them will say they do a sort of like an early version of that graphic novel he did of Panamime. I think it's called She Done Him Wrong. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, it, it satirizes gay 90 stuff as well. Yeah. Then, of course, I mentioned he did He Can't Make It Stick. And he tried doing something in 1930 as well. Try, and he also did those two screwless cartoons at MGM. Yeah. yeah. He, he, really, he really should have done more animation stuff, right. but he was he was the one who went too far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the animators emery hawkins actually talks a little about him in the interview that he did with um john canemaker he mentions at the very end that oh i worked with um i worked with milk gross and he loves my stuff and that meant a lot to me <laughs> and emery he he's sort of one of those animators that you can tell out because he does a lot of the timing a little different he has a bit of looser timing on his work <laughs> so it moves a bit more it has like it's like zero <laughs> it's like zero gravity sort of the way his <laughs> stuff moves <laughs> So, think, and he said that Milk Gross loved his stuff. And that says a lot about what Milk Gross liked in animation, that you could do these things very loose and cartoony. Maybe that's why he didn't last there, because they didn't really want that. They went back to the harmonizing stuff. I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Somebody probably needs to be walked here. So uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I, no, I need <laughs> to wake up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Um, yeah, Camden needs to also go to work. Yeah. I don't have to work tomorrow. But anyway, yay, Saturday, sleep in, watch cartoons. Anyway, so... Pleasure having you both. I guess uh, to wrap up, um, mm -hmm. uh, Camden, what are you doing next? Being on my next podcast, probably? Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. And Strum, what are you doing next? Probably going to work on my blog a little bit, just to have something down for next week, probably. All right. And what is that blog again? It's called Inbetweens. Okay. All right. Well, uh, again, it's a pleasure having you both on the show. Uh, we could try to do it again sometime and not interrupt each other as much. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, got a lot of weird animation anecdotes out there. And, you know, maybe we can have uh, Myron Waldman with us and we can grill him or something or Steve. Myron something. Waldman. Yeah, we can have him. I mean, his kids. You know what I mean. The Waldman so, boys. Anyway. Maybe we should try to bring him back to life. Yes. Maybe that's <laughs> the goal of our next podcast. All right. All right. I will talk to you later. I got two dogs I got to take outside. They bump at the camera and everything. All right. So that wraps it up for another Fun Ideas podcast. All right. And this is Mark Arnold. See you next time. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Strum and Camden Spees, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 178 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.